We're going to take a minute to pray for a significant part of our family that's not here with us this morning. Uh, the Pagels family, Pastor Jamie and Pastor Heidi and their children, are on their second week of sabbatical. I'm, I'm so excited for them, guys. I know some of us were, like, feeling a little nervous, but I'm just so excited that they're taking space to listen to God and to rest in Him and, and to be obedient. So... Um, they have chosen to set aside this period of time to listen to God, rest in his presence as God commands us, and to set the example also for the whole church to do. So we want to bless them by praying for the family every week while they're gone, and I hope you'll join me in prayer now. Jesus, we thank you for the family you have given us through this church body. We thank you for the family members who are our pastors. You've called and equipped them to lead them, and you've called them to rest. Thank you for their obedience to you. Thank you for their example to us. We pray that you would go before them in every stage of their sabbatical, Jesus. Would you give them the gift of your presence? Would you protect them and teach them until they return to us? And Jesus, we trust you to build them up and to build your church. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. Corporate prayer is like one of my favorite things about church. Corporate prayer means group prayer. And um, it's an important part of the life of a believer, too. Like, picture kind of the wings of two birds. Like, this is your private prayer life, and this is the church prayer life, like the community prayer life. And you can't, like, fly without the other. Anyway, that's kind of a side note. Um, so <laughs> my name <laughs> my name's Kristen Veldheisen. And I don't always make awkward bird analogies, but I get the best job in the whole church because I get to hang out with your middle school and high school students. Um, I'm the youth pastor, and yesterday, Chris and I and a bunch of young adults and I think a couple of others too, I don't know, were with um, students at Silverwood. So if you see someone who's like just dragging, probably their brain got all twisted up on a roller coaster. I'm looking at you, Shay. <laughs> Just try to use really short words when you talk to, like, Ethan and JC and Shay today, okay? Um, or if you want to just watch their head spin, you can be like, what's your purpose here on earth? Just ask them random questions, see how they respond. I don't know. It'll be funny. But really, um, <laughs> that transition was, like, a lot smoother in my head. It's okay. Uh, what, what, is, what is our purpose here on earth? If you think you have an answer, go ahead and shout it out. What's our purpose on earth? I didn't understand that. Bring glory to the Lord. Oh my gosh, you got it. Whoa! <laughs> he did. He cheated. Uh, for shame, Doug. No, so the Westminster Catechism, those are some really big words and some of you just checked out. That's fine. Um, the Westminster Catechism is a document that answers this question of what are we doing here? Why why do we exist as humans? And it was written by a bunch of really smart English and Scottish guys in the 1600s. They were trying to write a confession of faith for the Church of England at the time. And now there's this phenomenon among really smart people that we recognize pretty often here in Pullman. Um, it's when really smart people try to explain their really smart research or writing in words that us not as smart folks can understand. How many of you are with me? <laughs> they just end up like repeating themselves a lot 
or really long pauses. I think about my husband's face when he was trying to explain his graduate work. He would just pause and go like, it's like, <laughs> it was pretty funny. So as, as these men were writing what is called the Westminster Confession, they were creating a catechism, kind of like a question and answer to get people to understand the material. And to make it accessible to a wide variety of, variety of people, they had to write a larger catechism and a shorter catechism because they couldn't just, like, make it simple, easy across the board. So there's two of them. So in the shorter Westminster Catechism, the first question says this. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. First of all, who talks like that? What is the chief end of man? Um... (laughs) Second of all, what does it mean? It means that our purpose on earth as humans, as Christians, is to glorify God and to enjoy him. So how do we glorify God and how do we as humans who are living on this earth glorify God? If you were here last week, you heard the first part of this series that says we're changed when we meet Jesus. And we read the story of the Samaritan woman who Jesus meets at the well. And through their interaction, we saw that our hearts are changed when we meet Jesus. There's no shame when we meet Jesus. Even though he knows all of our sin, we don't have to feel shame. Because he meets us where we are. He knows our sin. And he loves us in the midst of it. We also heard that we're satisfied when we meet Jesus. We drink of the living water that Jesus offers to us. It's the most refreshing and life-giving substance that we were created for. We learned of the confident hope that we have because of Jesus, God who came in the form of a man and who knows us completely and loves us completely and gave his life so that we would be free from sin and shame and experience forgiveness and freedom. Those things are are pretty distinct from a life apart from Jesus. And so the change that we experience when we meet Jesus for the first time, is real and significant. We said that we are people who are changed, and it doesn't that change doesn't stop the moment we meet Jesus. It continues for the rest of our journey with Jesus. So this week, as we continue this with our series, spoiler alert, it's called Changed, because I said it like six times. Um, it's going to make us say, oh, thank God, because God's not done with us. And let me tell you, friends, I'm really glad God's not done with me because I need to continue to be changed and made into the image of Jesus. When we choose to follow Jesus, we become his disciples or his followers. That's what disciple means. You're a person who is a follower. And we begin a process called discipleship, the process during which we're made to look more and more like Jesus as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And that's what we're focusing on today. When we initially meet Jesus, our hearts are changed. And as we continue walking with Jesus, he continues to change us. And he roots out the parts of us that look like brokenness. Jesus takes out the parts of us that look like sin. The parts that we try to hide. And he brings them out into the light and he heals them. And it's for our good and our benefit. This is discipleship. This is how we become more like Jesus. 
We glorify God as we allow Jesus to make us more and more like him every day. It's our purpose on earth. So we're going to jump feet first or head first or whichever one you think indicates like total commitment. I'm not really sure which one. (laughs) Into this process of being made more like Jesus every day so we can glorify God and fulfill our purpose. If you have your Bible, um, you can turn with me to Ephesians 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can just pull out your smartphone and just download one right now. Just type in Bible. It should be kind of easy to find. (laughs) The book of Ephesians is found in the New Testament about halfway through. So if you were to, like, split the Bible... Not really in half. If you were to split it up, there's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. If you're looking at the New Testament, it's midway through the New Testament, between Galatians and Ephesians. Ephesians is one of the many letters written by Paul to the church in the city of Ephesus, which is where it gets its name. So if you're in chapter 4, you can follow along with me. I'm going to start reading in verse 11 says this, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people, that's you guys, to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. That's us. Well, all of it's us. (laughs) This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Continuing in verse 17. With the Lord's authority I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness, they wander far from the life God gives, because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. The Word of God. Let's look at that first part. It says, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is kind of the trajectory in our journey as disciples or as followers of Jesus. Our goal is maturity, spiritual maturity, so that we look more like Jesus. And I'm not talking like, oh my gosh, my kid brother is so immature. We're talking about spiritual maturity. As we get to know who God is more and more, we grow in every way more like Jesus. 
we're perfected just a little bit more every day. You can picture like a wooden lathe that spins. Can you see it spinning? Is it in your mind? And then the creator kind of like chips away at it or like carves it and shapes it a bit more bit by bit. Or sometimes it happens really fast, but sometimes it happens slowly. Until it has the shape the creator wants it to. That's what God is doing in our lives. He's shaping us every day. And the tools that he uses to shape us is our relationship with God and the community of believers. And God's character grows in us. Our faith matures over time. This passage also shows us that discipleship, the process of being made more and more like Jesus, is a process that happens in community. That community is important to us. As we each use our gifts and grow as spiritual people, the other people in our community grow with us. My roommate, okay, so I have a husband. He's really cute. And we've got two roommates who are sitting next to him, kind of in the front row. <laughs> I just realized they're all wearing, like, shorts, button downs, and ties. Sometimes they dress like a boy band. It's kind of funny. <laughs> um, so one of my roommates, Ben, he planted some sweet peas, and he planted them from seeds, and they just, like, kind of took over the window counter very quickly. They were growing so fast, and I was jealous because my peas were not growing as fast as his sweet peas, and I didn't know that sweet peas were flowers, but we worked it out. So... <laughs> But the sweet peas could only grow so tall before they just, like, flopped over and started creating, like, this tangled mess. They weren't growing vertically any longer. They were just, like, growing into themselves. And so Ben bought some bigger pots, and he bought some poles and, like, kind of leaned them against each other. And then he untangled the plants, and he wound them around the poles. And now the flowers, they're not flowers yet, but they will be, they grow up instead of into each other. And just like those poles and flowers, we can help each other to grow up into something beautiful instead of a gnarly, tangled knot. Because that sounds gross. So the church is one place that community exists. The community that God uses to shape us. And I want to encourage you to engage in this process of being made more and more like Jesus with your community. So you can glorify God. And I want to speak to you as Paul did in the first verse of Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And each person here has been called by God. Whether you've already committed your life to Jesus, or whether you're still trying to figure out, like, who is this guy? Do I like him? I beg you, lead a life worthy of of your calling. Allow Jesus to shape you because he loves you and he's called you and he says that you're his. When we commit our lives to Jesus, we step from darkness into light. Our minds aren't confused anymore. We're no longer people who walk in confusion, but the Spirit of God lives in us and teaches us how to live. He leads us into light and life. The maturity that we're talking about is part of living in life and in light. It's kind of like this. When I was a kid, you love my stories about when I was a kid. <laughs> I know you do because I like hearing you laugh and then I laugh at you and then I laugh at me laughing at you. It's fine. 
Um, I think I was about two years old. My whole family was in a car accident. And as far as I know, we were rear-ended. I don't really remember the details because I was two. But I do remember visiting the chiropractor around this time, which sounds weird. Like, why would you take a little kid to a chiropractor? But my parents later told me that they had some injuries in the car accident, and they were getting treatment, but they thought me and my sisters were fine. But I was acting weird, like a little weirder than usual. Like, for a kid who just used to, like, eat cubes of butter, weirder than normal is not good. So <laughs> my parents told me that, like a normal two-year-old, I, um, I, was I was a pretty good walker. Like, I'd get a little overexcited and, like, faceplant every once in a while. But um, it got worse. They noticed that after the car accident, I was walking funny. Like, I went just, like, step, step, boom, step, step, boom, like, fall every couple of steps. And I think they maybe thought I was just, like, tired or being silly or having an off day, but it continued, and the way that they described it was just, like, they couldn't take me anywhere because I would just step, step, fall over, and they're like, my kid's falling again, whatever. What's going on? So they took me to the doctor who sent me to the chiropractor, and it turns out that my spine was misaligned, so one hip was like, and the other leg was like, so one leg was shorter than the other. And I guess that kind of makes sense. Like, that's why I couldn't walk, because I just kept falling over because my leg was too short. <laughs> like, it couldn't reach the ground or something. I don't know. So the chiropractor did his thing and, like, I don't know, cracked or stretched or whatever, and brought my spine back into alignment with the way it was supposed to be. And then I didn't fall down quite so much. I still kind of do, but it's okay. And, <laughs> and that's what Jesus does in our lives. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. As we get to know God, we recognize his character more and more. And the Holy Spirit prompts us, highlighting where our lives need to be brought into alignment with the character that God wants us to have. It might be like a big thing or a small thing. It might be something hidden or, or something really obvious. But it's the Holy Spirit's prompting that leads us to step out of darkness, out of continually falling over, and into the light, out of hidden sin and confusion, and into his life-giving character and purpose. A pastor I admire from the West Side, he says it this way, everyone gets to come to Jesus just as they are, but nobody gets to stay that way. And last week as we spoke about the woman at the well, we said that Jesus did not shame her, even though she had plenty to be ashamed of from a human perspective. Jesus revealed himself to her, someone we might think is unlikely, but Jesus looked at her and welcomed her just as she was, knowing all of her sin but giving her no reason to hide. We are all the woman at the well with hidden sin and secret shame, but we're all invited into a relationship with Jesus exactly as we are. And just as Jesus invites and accepts every person, he's also gracious and loving to change us and to shape us into people who have his character instead of our own flawed character. 
This isn't something we have to work for, but it's something we do have to engage in. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus is both the author and perfecter of our faith. The one who gave us faith, the one who started it in us, and the one who shapes it, the one who makes it continue. We can depend on Jesus to shape us into his image because that's what he says he's going to do. We have to allow ourselves to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit for where we need to be shaped instead of just plugging our ears, la, 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 instead of burying our heads in the sand, instead of digging in our heels and saying, no. It's a little easier said than done, and you're looking at um, quite the experienced head barrier. But if we want to be people who glorify God, if we want to be people shaped into the image of Jesus, we need to listen to these promptings from the Holy Spirit as he shows us sin in our lives, as he shows us areas where he wants us to be brought into alignment with his character. And we call this process repentance. Repentance is when we recognize areas of our life that aren't in line with how God made us to live, areas of sin. We confess these things to God and choose to turn away from them. Now, the word repentance actually means to turn away from. And the imagery is that you turn around and you just walk the other way. Like if I just walked off the stage right now and went out the door instead of talking to you guys. Um, So if my trajectory in this way is leading me away from God. Maybe it's a sinful action or a sinful attitude. Maybe it's my pride that just won't let me reconcile with that person. I'm going to confess that to God, and I'm going to turn around and say, God, your way is better. I choose to obey. I choose reconciliation. I choose forgiveness toward God and obedience and life. And this is how we become mature followers of Jesus, as we turn away from the things that look like sin and turn toward the things that look like Jesus. In verses 18 and 19, notice what it says about people who choose not to do this. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. Wait a minute. They have no sense of shame. Didn't we say that last week? Last week we said that shame was bad, right? Which is which is correct. But when we come to Jesus, we recognize, and so does he, that we're guilty of sin, but we're not shamed for it. We're invited into freedom. So then why does this verse sound like it's a bad thing that they didn't have any shame. In this passage, no sense of shame indicates no recognition of guilt or even some kind of pride in wrongdoing, like a pride in their evilness. And that's that's different from the freedom we have in Christ. Jesus invites him into invites us into a relationship no matter what sin we have in our lives. And he breaks the power that sin has over us, so we're not slaves to it anymore. Instead of being people who need to hide for fear of our wrongness being found out, we're people who can recognize our sin and turn away from it. 
And instead of living in darkness and shame, we have the light of Jesus, and darkness cannot drown, cannot drown out the light. When we turn away from sin and refuse to let shame keep us in darkness, God is glorified. That's how we become mature followers of Jesus, who glorify God. I want to give you kind of an example, a poor example, but still an example, of what repentance looks like. So I'm a person with rather pale skin. Big surprise. You had no idea. In our country, it's kind of popular for people with very pale skin to go to great lengths to make it darker. And I used to be one of those people as a kid or as a teenager who would just lay out the sun for ages until I got what I considered to be like the perfect shade. And some people are so determined to make their skin a different color that they like buy tanning lotions and visit tanning beds and get spray tans and the whole shebang. So we kind of make fun of those people, especially when they turn orange. Don't do it. But it's still kind of normal for people who are rather pale like me to go do something about it, to get that sun-kissed glow. But when I was 20, um, I'm going to spare you the gory details. I went to the doctor because there was a mole on my back that was just being annoying. And <laughs> I learned that it was skin cancer. It was benign skin cancer, but it was still skin cancer. You know what they did with that sucker? They literally cut it off and then like, that melty thing where they like melt your skin. I forgot the word for it. Oh, it was gross. And they sent it out for tests, and that's how we learned that it was skin cancer. But the procedure wasn't really that big of a deal. The idea of skin cancer was like, oh my gosh, that's terrifying. And so now I'm really vigilant about sunscreen, and I don't want to get burned. I don't want to get tanned. I am perfectly content to leave my skin exactly the way it grows. And I learned my lesson. Um, I lessen my chances of skin cancer by not spending tons of time in the sun. And sometimes people make fun of me for being, like, super pale, which is fine because I don't really care because I value my life over, like, whatever the standard of beauty is. So if the lights from the stage are, like, bouncing off my legs and blinding you, just chill. Deal with it. Uh, sin is a cancer to our spiritual lives. If we leave it alone or ignore it, it's just going to grow and grow and grow and choke out the life that Jesus wants us to have. We have to throw off our sinful nature. Throw off the sin that Jesus reveals to you. The words that the scripture uses, throw off, kind of sounds like you're sick of it, right? It's like when you're super hot at night and you're like sweating and turning and turning and turning. Oh, this stupid blanket, that's me. It like tangles you up and it like makes you trip if you try to get out of bed. But we throw off the sin that keeps us from reflecting the character of Jesus, whatever that is. And Jesus through his forgiveness and his grace, adopted us into the family of God. We're children of God. Aren't you thankful for that? But before we accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, 
we're like orphans who live on the street and we just wear whatever we find like whatever was in the dumpster in the alley and it's kind of like hanging off your shoulder and it's like got some holes and it's like barely covering but at least it's clothing right and God in his grace and in his mercy he found us and he adopted us and he gave us new clothes no longer filthy rags but instead he gave us his robes of righteousness and they're clean and they're they fit just right but we grew up on the streets in those filthy rags and they're comfortable you know like your favorite pair of jeans that definitely has a hole but you're like nobody can see that hole they're my favorite jeans stop wearing those <laughs> Our old ways of thinking and interacting with the world feel more comfortable than the new, clean clothes that Jesus gave to us. They're comfortable, but they're still full of the shame and the habits that we used to live in before we came into the family of God. We need to cling to the truth of Romans 12, too, when it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The clothes that we used to wear look like the behaviors and customs of this world, the old thoughts and habits that kept us stuck in sin. We need God's transforming power to show us where he wants to change us, where God wants to take off that old shirt that is the lies we've believed about ourselves. Maybe that we're unintelligent or incapable or only worth anything when we're accomplishing something. And instead he wants to put on a new shirt that is his truth, that we were created in the image of God. That we have gifts and talents and that we have value outside of our abilities. Whoa, shocker. Instead we've held on to those rags and we've refused to let them go. Even while we're like wearing our new shirt, we're like, no, I like this old one. They're all we know, but listen to me today, church. God wants to do more in you. Throw off your old rags of sin and shame and stop clinging to them. We've got good news for you this morning. You're not a slave. You do not have to be a slave to sin and shame. Romans 6 says, Our old selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. That is good news, and this is the gospel. That we are set free from the power of sin it no longer controls us. We are adopted into the family of Jesus. We're dead to sin, but we're made alive in Christ. And this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You can find that in 2 Corinthians 5.17. You've been set free. You have been made new. So if you're a Christian... Live like it. Stop acting as if the sin that's in your that's been in your life forever will always control you because it does not have to because Jesus broke the power of sin over your life. 
Stop acting like if you listen to Jesus and allow him to show you the sin in your life, it's for anything but freedom. Because it is for freedom. Step into the freedom and new life that Jesus already gave you when he gave up his own life and raised to new life again. Put on your new nature, created to be like Christ, truly holy and righteous. Jess is going to come and play a little bit of background music for us. I have one more encouragement for you this morning. This is God's work. Let him do it in you. Sometimes we, and by we, I mean me. I look at my life with disappointment, frustrated that I'm like not perfectly like Jesus already after 25 years. Frustrated that I haven't been made completely perfect yet. And I get annoyed at myself, like, gosh darn it, if you could just buckle down and and be better. But that's not the truth of Jesus. And if you're like me, this verse is for you. Paul writes to the church of the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 6, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who started it and the one who makes us more like him. He's continuing to work in us. So surrender those areas in your life where the Holy Spirit shows you sin. Don't just shy away from them. Allow God to be glorified in you as the Holy Spirit shapes you to look more like Jesus. And when you're faced with the opportunity for sinful actions or attitudes, ask God to help you choose his freedom over the power of sin. Sin does not rule over you, and you are not its slave. God is working in you, giving you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So I have a couple questions for you. Have you met Jesus? And have you given your life to him? He wants to give you robes of righteousness today. He's inviting you to fulfill your purpose, a life that glorifies him by following Jesus instead of your own thoughts and patterns and behaviors. And are you already a follower of Jesus? If you are, throw off the dirty rags that you've clung to. Throw them off. Just toss them to the side. Burn them. Stop covering your robes of righteousness. You're no longer a slave to sin, so stop living like it. Today, Jesus, the God who is able to do all things, the God who does the impossible, invites you to freedom. And he says that even those areas of your life that you're like, well, that's just always going to have power in my life because it's been this habit for too long. Today he says, no, that I'm the God who's able to do the impossible, so surrender that to me. And engage in the process of repentance so God can receive more and more glory through you. Normally we have like a time of reflection. We're not going to do that this morning. You can take this and you can sit with it at a different time, just you and God. And so this morning, I want to pray over you. 
that God would give you both the will and the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Jesus, we thank you that you're the one who works in us. You're the one who set us free from sin and shame. You're the one who calls us into the process of being made more like Jesus. And we ask you to be glorified in us, God. We ask you to give us the courage to turn away from sin where you show it to us. We ask you to give us the courage to say yes to you if you're calling us to follow you for the very first time. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit, as you lead us and guide us this week. Amen. We're citizens of heaven, so let's live like it. And church, as you go this morning, I want to pray over you Philippians 1 again. May God, who began the good work in you, continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So go in peace, and I hope you really enjoy the sunshine today.